1: It's a good thing you come along when you did, Mary Poppins. How'd you do that? Do what? So you've been off filling the children's heads with stuff and nonsense. You've forgotten what it's like to be a child. Hello, and welcome to another Slate Spoiler Special. I'm Dan Kois. I'm an editor at Slate, and I am joined today by a beloved former Slate star, Slate expat, and now New York Times TV editor, Aisha Harris. Hello.
0: Hello, Dan. It's great to be back.
1: We're so glad to have you here. You're in the New York offices where you've already run into some old friends. Running into old friends is such an appropriate thing to be doing today as we are talking about a return to some old friends in movie form, Mary Poppin's returns, Disney's revisitation of the beloved characters from way, way, way back. We're gonna talk about how the movie handles revisiting these beloved characters and this beloved magic, how it the movie diverges from the kinds of stories and themes of the first one, but also how it hews quite closely to the stories, themes, spirit, and rhythms of the first movie. Uh, And we're going to figure out whether BMX bikes really belong in 1930s London. Um, (laughs) But first of all, we should warn our listeners that this is the spoiler special. So we will be spoiling this movie. So if spoilers are important to you, please pause the podcast, buy a ticket, go see the movie, come back to your phone, and unpause the podcast and continue listening from that point. Ready? Go. If you don't care about spoilers, then just listen to us. We'll tell you everything that happens in Mary Poppins Returns. Uh, All right. So Mary Poppins Returns is directed by Rob Marshall, um, and it's a sequel of sorts, kind of a reboot, I guess. Uh, I guess it's not really a reboot. It's a true sequel to 1964's Mary Poppins, the beloved movie that everyone has seen a million times yet actually forgets as you're an adult, is four and a half hours long. (laughs) <laughs> um this one has Emily Blunt as Mary Poppins she's joined by Lin-Manuel Miranda um as the kind of Burt character uh Ben Whishaw and Emily Mortimer playing the children from the original Mary Poppins now all grown up uh and then just a bunch of other delightful British people plus Meryl Streep Aisha as someone who I think of as a, a real scholar of uh Disney someone who for whom Disney uh The company and the movies that they have made plays a real formative role. Tell me, uh, was Mary Poppins a favorite of yours when you were growing up? Was that a movie that was formative for you in the way that, you know, The Lion King and a lot of the 80s and 90s animated films were?
0: It absolutely was. It's one of my mom's favorite movies. And so I know. She had memories of seeing it with her mother when she was a kid. And so when I was growing up, we had it on VHS. Uh, yes, it was like four hours long, but also like another Julie Andrews movie, Sounds of Music, uh, which is, which is actually like four hours long. Um, we would spend, I remember just spending. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> With an intermission. Um, we would spend afternoons, sometimes like when my mom had to do my hair, which would take forever, we would spend the afternoon watching Mary Poppins. And I, you know, listen to the soundtrack all the time. And I, it's just, it's actually probably been maybe, I don't know, five years since I last watched it in full, but I feel like I know it so well that as I was, as I was watching this version of it, <laughs> so, uh, a colleague of mine actually compared it. I know you said it's not a reboot, but it kind of is. It's sort of like the the uh, Force Awakens of Mary Poppins, where it hits pretty much all of the same notes as Mary Poppins uh, does, um but like with a little bit of a more modern twist. Right. Uh, as you mentioned, there are BMX spikes <laughs> for some reason in the number that is sort of the corollary to uh, Step in Time in the original, and and you know. Overall, this movie, I was delighted by it. Uh, I enjoyed it. I still had this sense of, like, this didn't need to be made <laughs> at all. Um, but I feel like that about most reboots and remakes. I'm like the reboot remake jin- uh, Grinch. So that's how I feel about it. But I was, you know, I enjoyed it. And I thought Emily Blunt was actually a really, really great Mary Poppins.
1: I'm glad to have you here as someone who's who, for whom the movie is encoded in your DNA in that way um because i do agree that it's clear that this movie was born out of a desire to essentially redo mary poppins to make mary poppins again except for with new stars and new special effects and a new chance to make a bunch of money because it so clearly maps the scenes songs and beats of the original in a way that i i mean that i that started to make me laugh as the movie went on and i realized how closely it was going to hue to that template and i think it'll be worth it as we go through this conversation to to refer as we discuss scenes in this new one to their analogs in the original because they're so clearly there um you know for me mary poppins Was not as much of a touchstone as it was for you, but I think my relationship to Mary Poppins is is very common to that of many adults, uh, maybe 35 or older, who are seeing this movie, which is to say, we probably saw it when we were kids. Maybe we saw it multiple times. What we really knew when we were kids were the songs. Right. Uh, you know, my elementary school choir sang "Super Califragilistic supercalifragilisticexpialidocious and um, we all knew a spoonful of sugar. That was a song that our mo- all our moms sang to us. Um, and so whether or not the movie itself and its beats were familiar to us, the songs really were. But the movie for me has become particularly familiar to me now because I'm a parent. And so my kids – have watched Mary Poppins a bunch of times because I remembered the songs and the spirit of the movie fondly, bought it on DVD, played it for them, said, Oh my God, this is four fucking hours long. Uh, and then let them watch it a couple more times in the back seats on car trips while I did not watch it ever again because I could not believe how unbelievably long the movie was. Um, <laughs> But so – which is to say I I have a fondness for Mary Poppins but not necessarily a familiarity with the movie and how it works on a beat-by-beat beat basis yet – I was able to sort of understand as this movie was going on just how closely it is meant to hew to that template. So let's go through what the plot of this movie was a little bit. Um, We have uh, in the very same house, uh, supposedly like the beautiful British townhouse, London townhouse that the first movie took place in. um, We have once again – Young Michael, Michael Banks, who now is old Michael Banks, played by Ben Wishaw, um, who, uh, who works at the Fidelity Fiduciary Bank, the very bank. Uh, which, uh, old Mr. Banks worked in the original movie. Um, and who is struggling to hold on to the house. Um, London is in a, is in the middle of an economic depression. Um, as we see as Lynn Manuel Miranda rides his bike around town singing about the lovely London sky as we see like rag pickers and, uh, and poor people waiting in line for food at soup kitchens. And his three adorable moppets, his three children, um, are struggling to figure out why it is that Daddy is so sad um, and why their house might be in danger. Daddy is sad because their mom died about a year ago. Um, Very
0: classic Disney. Trip.
1: Classic Disney. <laughs> classic Disney. And they do have a couple of sort of mother figures in their life. They have um, their... I guess, sort of housekeeper person who is played by Julie Walters. And they have their aunt, um, who we know, once again, from uh, from the original movie, who's Jane, who was the kid who Mary Poppins, along with Michael, took care of in the original.
0: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
1: No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: So why don't we start, Aisha, by talking about this this The political message of this movie, which seems to revolve around uh, this like predatory lending practice engaged in by Colin Firth at the Fidelity (laughs) Fiduciary Bank. Um, Now, uh, you know, the the bank president in the original Mary Poppins is is also kind of a bad dude in the sense that he makes Mr. Banks work too hard. Um, But this president is like a seriously bad dude in the sense that he's lying to children and trying to just take away their house just for fun. And the kind of – the message that that pushes, I thought, ran parallel in an interesting way to the political message of Mary Poppins, which some listeners may not remember, was all about getting the vote for women. Um, Mrs. Banks, the children's mother, is an active and lively suffragette, um, and she, in fact, has that great song that she sings early in the movie that sort of drives that political message. What did you think about the – the way that this movie dealt with those politics and did it seem eh, to someone who presumably came up with this vision of the suffragettes based on watching the movie 10 million times. Do you think that people (laughs) that little kids who watch Mary Poppins returns are going to come out of it with a coherent political viewpoint of the banks and mortgage policy? (laughs)
0: Um, Honestly, like I don't even think I fully understood what a suffragette was until years later. I just like, I didn't, did not grasp as a child what she was singing about, uh, even though I knew all the words. It's like, you know, um th- our daughter's daughters will adore us and they'll sing ungrateful chorus. Well done, sister suffragettes. Uh, so I didn't realize it was like necessarily this th- like this song steeped in something very political. And I have a feeling the way especially the way this movie handles it, like it's predatory loaning. Yes, and mortgages and all that stuff. But it's happening to a very specific family. Like, it it doesn't necessarily convey that past, like, extend that sentiment to the rest of London, or like the other poor people of London, or not that this this family is poor, but... You know, the other people who, um, who exist on the fringes of London, like, they're kind of there in the background. As you mentioned, we see, like, the food line. But I feel like it's kind of, because it's such a singular thing and it's treated more as just, like, a very convenient plot point in this movie, I don't see it necessarily conveying any larger political stance to a kid under the age of say like 10
1: right a plot point that can be that clearly can be remedied with like a little bit of magic uh, right whether it's the stock certificates or the little bit of uh uh, (laughs) of compound interest magic that in the end actually does solve the problem Um, right and
0: it, it does seem though that like um jane as an adult emily mortimer's character um she sort of is conferred the suffragette ish like um character um as an adult she's i think she's working for a, a union yeah she's, she's like, a labor organizer she's a labor organizer so there's that aspect which feels a little bit more uh distinct and but even that part is very jane is kind of just there it's really more about Michael and his family and she helps out and uh, Lin-Manuel's character Jack he kind of there's this whole subplot where they start to catch eyes for or t- they they catch eyes for each other or whatever the phrase is and um they like he's like oh I'll help you put up your posters I have a bike <laughs> Right, <laughs> and he's like okay so even that is like wrapped up in this romantic subplot less so than anything like actually concrete right. uh, so I, I think the politics are, are there but they're not it's this isn't going to be like changing lives or anything it's All not right, like so
1: great job Black mary Panther. poppins returns your politics are just as facile as the original mary poppins politics <laughs> but so then let's talk about mary Poppins. she flies in on an umbrella she takes the kids under her wing she agrees to be their nanny um, for no charge this time because of course michael could not possibly pay for it um and she immediately begins introducing magic into their lives um and as the original mary poppins does immediately poops the very idea that magic could possibly be real telling them that they should uh ignore what the, everything that's happened to them and what they see and in fact if they say that there's magic they're crazy um but the first big magical sequence of mary poppins uh, and the kids is that underwater bathtub scene where they all go into a magical underwater world uh to the song can you imagine that some pirates follow treasure maps and wear a silly hat they search the world for buried gold they won't grow up
0: and don't grow old can you imagine
1: Now, what's the analog for the, for this in the original Mary Poppins? What's like the big first magical moment that the kids have with her?
0: That would have to be, I think, a spoonful of sugar. Right. Um, and that scene in the movie, um, in the original movie, uh ha- takes place in their bedroom instead of the the bathtub but she's like trying to help them clean up their room um it's a very you know we're gonna make cleaning fun uh you're not even gonna realize you're cleaning we're gonna sing and she snaps her fingers and things automatically go to their place and where they're supposed to go um and with this uh, this scene is way more fantastical than that um you know, it's we've got it, it's it is an animated underwater sequence, and I mean it's it's a fine song. <laughs> well, this is I, the pro- could, one I could of the not problems, hum it. right? One <laughs> of the
1: problems with this, right, is that the with this movie is that the songs from the original are so deeply ingrained in everyone who's seeing it that this movie has a real uphill battle to get any of these songs to be like nearly as memorable as these songs, which which threatened to sort of overcome them in our memories. I mean, that's a part of the problem with basing the structure and tone and rhythm of your movie so clearly on the original, is it means that your song about, like, making cleaning fun in a magical way uh, needs to compete against the previous, much more catchy song we've known for 40 years about making cleaning fun by magicing it away. Uh, And it struck me that, like, I'm there's no way I'm ever gonna remember a single note of the the bathtub song, which Wikipedia tells me was called Can You Imagine That? Um uh, mm-hmm. as compared Can to you spoonful, remember that? Yeah, I cannot remember that. <laughs> um Yeah. And so like that Over and over again, I found myself listening to and watching – listening to these catchy songs and fun songs and watching these sequences. But at the end of them, as you say, the song instantly falling out of my head, essentially being replaced by the better – Original song from the first movie, uh, which I, which I will never, you know, stop being able to hum Uh, on my deathbed. I will be humming a spoonful of sugar or saying supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Uh, but these things are just gone. And, and it struck me that that's a relevant problem with the movie itself, right? That is
0: that is what makes Mary Poppins. Like you said, there's so many people who grew up on that movie, but like probably haven't revisited it since they were kids. But like, you know, the songs, you know, the music, you can probably say, sali, stick, fragile, cali, like, you know, this um, <laughs> <we're>, <laughs> that's how they say it backwards. Let's give our um, listeners just a
1: second here. <laughs> a second of silence. Please say that listeners out loud. Great. Thank you. Carry on. <laughs>
0: um, so, and, and the, we, it's probably worth noting that Richard Sherman, who is the surviving, um, member of the Sherman Brothers team, um, who wrote the original songs and wrote other classic Disney songs of that era. Right. Beloved um,
1: songwriters who, in fact, had a whole documentary about them recently, which is quite good.
0: Right. And he served as a consultant here, but, you know, consultant, anytime I read consultant, In any capacity when it comes to creative endeavors like this, I'm always hesitant and wary and and just wonder how much input they have. And, and you know, he's also I think he's in his 90s at this point. So maybe maybe he doesn't have it anymore. I don't know. I don't want to I don't want to say that he's a legend. I'm glad he is still with us. Same with Dick Van Dyke. But there's just something missing here, and I think it comes with a the passage of time, and and b like just it Hughes like you like we've said already, it hues way too closely to the original movie. Um, I wish it had tried to do something even a little bit more different, <laughs> right? A little that's, bit differently. I
1: think that's I think that is what I kept feeling throughout this that the movie has a better chance to be memorable if it does something that forces it away from what the original was. And obviously that's a risk. Obviously that's, I mean, that's not the Disney way. That is not how Disney makes movies like this, but it's very, I'm very curious whether, you know, a six year old who sees Mary Poppins returns right now is going to view it with the same kind of affection as a, a kind of touchstone aesthetic experience that so many kids of your generation and my generation do view that movie as, or whether it's just sort of one more slight, somewhat catchy thing in a sea of content that they have sort of experienced their whole lives. There's nothing special or fantastical about it. It's just another movie that they saw and liked. Um, My hunch is that that's the way it's going to be. My hunch is that there's, is that, the movie's insistence on not being particularly special on being another thing like the things you've already seen is going to doom it to just being kind of a you know just another pretty good movie that people saw and liked pretty well um but let's move through the story um the big sort of magical centerpiece of this story, I think is the is the song that takes the place of the penguin scene in the park from the original movie. Um, it's the song in which all the kids and Mary and Jack go into a, a beautiful bowl that uh, is on the on the mantle in their nursery um, and they go into the world of the bowl and meet the characters who who are painted on this bowl and then end up in a big song and dance routine uh, a big show put on by Mary and Jack with a couple of songs and then there's an adventure at the end of it big uh, sequence with a couple of with a horse-drawn wagon and that uh, to me was like the sort of magical, centerpiece of the kids experience as i said i think it you know i think it's it's you can draw a direct line from the penguin scene and supercalifragilistic to this how did these two scenes compare to you did you feel magic in this scene and did did it work for you the way that penguin scene works so well in the original
0: well, it's interesting because the reason they go into the bowl is because they drop the bowl and it cracks. And right. so um the the kids are like arguing and then it cracks. And so Mary Poppins like, OK, we have to go fix the fix the crack. So that means, of course, we have to go in the bowl. Um What I liked, I think this is probably my favorite part because, <laughs> funnily enough, because it hews so closely to what the original was when it comes to the animation. Right. Um, my my biggest um annoyance with a lot of movies these days whether they're you know big budget blockbusters or just like really small like or mid-sized comedies or movies is like i can always tell when these actors are just in front of a screen screen um and it's very frustrating to see like the sort of dark outline and this very clearly fake backdrop of like a sky or a city skyline or the the bridge, whatever. And I feel like a lot of Mary Poppins returns. There's moments like that when they're in the streets where I'm like, you guys are clearly not like uh, you're you're probably not even on a sound stage at this moment. Right, Not even the
1: underwater scenes, but just like the literal street scenes are like,
0: Right, right, right. Um, but with this, I liked that it, it went back to the old school style of animation that, and it looked very similar to the penguin and supercalifragilistic, uh, part of the original movie. Because it, it, it did, it did hit me like, oh, this is like, this is my childhood in, in a in a sweet way. Like, it was like, oh, this is nice. And I'm glad that there are younger kids who will get to see this um, and experience some old school animation. It is truly uh,
1: amazing I, the power that just seeing hand-drawn animation has when you haven't seen it for years and years and years.
0: Yeah, it, it was really nice. I, I will say, can we, like... So I have the the lyrics. So, so they have the the big song. The first song is like it's called the Royal Dalton Music Hall, where they're going to the music hall, and it's sort of it's. I don't even think it's necessarily an analog to, um, supercalifragilistic. Um, it seems more like a jolly holiday type of thing. Yeah. Um, and then then they go into this big dance number. Mary Poppins performs on stage, and and Jack joins her, and it's called a covers not the Book
1: I state their words or got a note, that mate was now the late great. But then suddenly one day a stranger started him to sing. He said, I'm the dirty rascal and I'm here to teach the king. And the queen
0: catched the jewels, for she hated royal fools. And but so it's basically to... a a sort of patter happy song where they talk about how you can't judge a book by its cover. And so and so, of course, because this is Lim Manuel, we expect him to rap at some point. And he does. Um, but <laughs> he raps very fast here and it, he's telling the story it, they're essentially like here we're gonna break this down so he's like okay i'm gonna tell you this really nonsensical crazy story i could not understand for the life of me what he was saying me either and and i'm not sure if we're supposed to or if we're not or if it's just a matter of lin-manuel was trying like lin-manuel trying to do a british accent while rapping very fast just like comes <laughs> out like jumble <laughs> um <laughs> the a, 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 according to genius the lyrics include Once upon a time in a nursery rhyme, there's a castle with a king hiding in a wing because he never went to school to learn a single thing. He had scepters and swords and a parliament of lords. But on the inside, he was sad. And then it keeps going. Um, So those are words he apparently says. um,
1: I don't don't recognize them at all. That song truly is (laughs) incomprehensible. The, part of it is the mix i think like the the mu- i was not in like the world's greatest theater for this screening the i think the music is mixed really high i think his vocals are mixed a little low but it also is a matter of him like doing his he he has admitted that his accent is bad right i'm i'm correct about this right he has like already joked oh. about his accent
0: I'm sure he has. I I, I do you, sorry sorry sidebar is he worse than Dick Van Dyke or not? <laughs> <laughs> I actually think he's slightly better.
1: Uh I think Like it's, it's
0: not, I I think it's not as as distracting. I
1: I agree with that. Yes, because I think he's not trying for as broad an accent as Dick Van Dyke was, so it doesn't clunk as badly when he botches it. Um right. it's like slightly more subdued. But yes. So the songs for this musical were written after the casting was done. So they wrote this; they clearly wrote the song specifically so that Lin Manuel could do something rap ish. It's a classic patter tune, really, with a with right. like a slightly more aggressive beat than your classic patter tune. Um, yeah, it,
0: it feels very Hamiltony. Yeah, like that 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 specific moment. Except, unlike in Hamilton, you really can't understand what he's
1: right. Saying. He's like talk <laughs> rapping his way through it with an accent, and it and. Th- what he's trying to tell you is so clearly in the moment unimportant. It's not like during Hamilton where you're like really working to understand what they're saying because it's it's almost always driving the plot forward. In this case, we are meant to understand from the beginning that what he's saying to us is essentially irrelevant. It's like a it, it is, as you say, a side story that he's telling us to illustrate this concept of concept that every adult in the theater has heard 10 trillion times that you can't judge a book by its fucking cover. Um, <laughs> and so we just, I just sort of like zoned out and let like the, the, the dulcet rap of Lin-Manuel Miranda put me gently to sleep, uh, and enjoyed the visuals of him, like walking on these magical books, which were quite charming. I thought, um, but yeah, it's like absurd how, how incomprehensible this song is. And, also comically absurd to me that they just had to put it in like that. It, they couldn't stop <laughs> themselves from having this guy who they would paid so much money to and and put his picture all over the marketing for this movie. They just you got to have Lin-Manuel rap. You know, you just can't not have Lin-Manuel rap. And so, like, I have this vision of Lin-Manuel's like. His acting future for the rest of time that like someday (laughs) Lin-Manuel is going to be like, you know what? I need to do a serious Oscar movie to like get my nomination and he'll be in a serious Oscar movie about like him fighting cancer. But at some point in the middle, (laughs) he's going to have to rap because when you have Lin-Manuel, Lin-Manuel raps. And so he'll
0: be a rapper with cancer.
1: Right, he'll be. That's exactly. Oh, you're absolutely <laughs> right. That's what it's going to be. He's going to be a rapper who gets cancer, but then he has like his big like return to the stage uh, with a headscarf. I don't know. It's going to be terrible. <laughs> but like this is I, like I just had this nightmare vision of Portland Manuel Miranda having to do this forever and ever and ever and ever. Even though anyone who saw him in Hamilton understands that what he is actually best at as both a composer and a performer is not rapping
0: <laughs> well here's the thing though had he been had he been the person who actually was one of the writers on this movie i think he probably would have given himself a a, a patter you don't because you don't, you don't think that he contributed? well well he didn't write the lyrics I mean, he's not he's, he's not credited, not
1: credited for writing the lyrics
0: I don't know. Well, yeah. either way, I mean, I think he would have made himself do it anyway. Probably, at, probably. At, at minimum because of the homage to Dick Van Dyke, because right. Dick Van Dyke does, does that, do that pattern, um, during Jolly Holiday and the Penguins. So, he, he, I think he likes
1: it. I, he clearly <laughs> that just, that, that, loves it. <laughs> But does that mean it's the best thing for him to be doing? I don't know. Oh, no,
0: not at all. <laughs> but then neither was like having him open and close the movie by singing that very forgettable song
1: right underneath um. <laughs> the lovely London sky, Um, which clearly everyone involved definitely thought, oh, there have been other songs about London, but we have written the <laughs> song about London. Clear out all other songs about London from here from henceforth. <laughs> This will be the song people think about when they think about London. Um, Let's talk about Meryl Streep. Um, The revelation. Oh, man. The revelation (laughs) that Meryl was in this movie and the photo of her that first appeared a couple of months ago of her in this movie was bananas. Um, Mm -hmm. And so then I laughed and laughed when her point came and it became clear, oh, Meryl Streep is just the person they got to be... Wait, what's his name? Uncle Ed,
0: Ed, Uncle Albert Uncle Ed, um, Albert. Right. Played by Edwin in the original.
1: Right. So it's <laughs> Uncle Albert who floats to the ceiling. This is Aunt whatever the hell her name is. Um <laughs> who wait, I'm looking it up as Aunt Topsy, cousin Topsy, sorry. Um yes. who's whose house turns upside down every once in a while. So it's like it's like literally the exact same thing. <laughs>
0: It is. Except the song is No I Love to Laugh. No, I'm sorry. It is not. <laughs> it's like it's funny. She as soon as I saw her, I was like, holy shit, she looks just like Madame Medusa from um The Rescuers. Oh, like yeah. I wonder I wonder if they actually like based her look off of that,
1: like with the bright red hair and the the green outfit. Or like the um, costume was department gr- was tasked five years ago with coming up with one <laughs> costume just in case that fans of the rescuers demand a live action rescuers. And then they were like, well, let's save like 10 bucks and just use that costume here.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that I mean, look, I I was happy to see Meryl being like kooky and wacky and all that stuff. Um, again, I could not tell you how that song goes. Nope. Um and i i did i did appreciate the sort of like weird dynamic between mary poppins and her character like they seemed kind of antagonistic towards each other um she like the aunt topsy was like you can't come on wednesday that's when my house turns upside down and mary poppins is like bitch i'm coming in doesn't matter <laughs> and i and i like that sort of like it was very like it wasn't too over the top but i like that there is like it seemed like there was a little bit of history there right whatever that history was who knows but what do we think of emily blunt as mary poppins
1: yeah well so that you're, you're mentioning of the sort of like sharp edge she takes towards topsy um was notable i thought because that's you know, that's the character as P.L. Travers wrote her. Famously, the character is like sort of much meaner um, and more of a hassle to deal with in the books than she was in the original movie where she like has a kind of a, a twinkling assertiveness that plays uh, into like this vision of a British nanny. But she isn't particularly mean to anyone ever. Um And I'd seen that little glimmer of that character. in that scene with Topsy was delightful. I thought Emily Blunt was like fine. She was like (laughs) lovely. She has a little bit of magic to her. Her magic is like heavily like pounded on. There's nothing sort of light or whimsical about those scenes where like her reflection in the mirror stays after she leaves or she has a little twinkle. And then we like hear an actual twinkling. Um, but like she is perfectly lovely and practically um, perfect and <laughs> practically perfect. She is practically perfect. Yes. I, I don't know that she will sort of like live on in the aesthetic and dare I say it, erotic imaginations of <laughs> the young people who see this for what? years afterwards. <laughs> oh, as Lord, Julie Dad, Andrews definitely going, did what I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I'm not saying anything. Okay. I'm just saying that Julie Andrews, <laughs> Uh, in that role, had a certain kind of like dominatrixy, um, like perfection that I think was imprinted on a whole generation of young men who saw that movie. Um, and, uh, and I think like there's a real argument to be made, and I'm not going to make it here because Slate doesn't pay me enough to subject myself to the, <laughs> the hate mail that we would get. But I think there's an argument you can make that, sh- that the Mary Poppins and Sound of music characters that Julie Andrews played imprinted themselves on the sort of developmental sexuality of an entire generation of American <laughs> men and led to a kind of uh infantilizing uh sexuality which we are still seeing seen playing out today holy shit this Look. is
0: sounds like a college essay what
1: <laughs> right so like this is I'm not going to write this master's thesis right now, but I guess my question is. For everyone who watched the original Mary Poppins, like the character is indelible for whatever reason, right? Julie Andrews as that character is indelible. In part, that's because of the movie's direction and because the songs are so great. But it's also because Julie Andrews herself played it with uh, this incredible charm and energy and wit. Um, Do you think Emily Blunt lives up to that standard or is that a totally unfair question to ask? Is it an unfair standard for any 21st century actress to ever live up to?
0: I mean, yeah, I think that's a good question to ponder. I actually, I think I liked Emily Blunt's take on this more than slightly more than you did. Um, <clears throat> mm-hmm. I think I, what I appreciated about it was that it was so different and in a way, like I thought, look, nothing is going to different. How? Well, I think that she gives a more, and I think part of this might be due to her limitations as a singer and compared to Julie Andrews, but she gives a more sort of brassy performance, like mm-hmm. a, Sort of like she's channeling Barbara Streisand and like, Hello Dolly at moments. Oh, that's interesting. Where, like, that Julie. Definitely
1: An- in that uh, cover is not the book song. Right, that, right. right. So yeah. it's,
0: it's very, she's never, there is this like underlying sweetness, I think, to Julie Andrew's character, whereas here, there isn't really that sweetness. It's, it's a little bit harder. Um, and I, yeah. and I appreciated that. And, and I, <laughs> I agree. I I don't I don't know if she's going to uh, creep into the dreams of prepubescent children. <laughs> I'm just uh, saying <laughs> in that manner, anyway. Um, yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, all right. Let's talk about the ending of this movie. Um, now, the ending of the uh, whatever the ending of the plot is that the stock certificates were in the kite, but then. Colin Firth burns them, but then uh, it turns out that the very tuppence that Michael had like taken from him angrily at the bank all those years before uh, has turned into enough money for them to pay for their house, which I am not an expert on compound interest, but <laughs> tuppence would not turn into enough for a house in the lifespan of one person, no matter how good interest rates were. And they were bad. In that era.
0: Yeah, it's not even it's only like 20 years later, I think. Right, and it's
1: the freaking depression. People's (laughs) bank accounts disappeared. They didn't grow into enough to build a house, but whatever. Okay. Whatever. It doesn't matter. The real spoiler for this movie is who appears right it's a dick van dyke shows up and he's been he's like the i guess the dad of colin Firth's character is that right so Uh, he's playing so explain
0: uh, yeah so in the original movie dick van dyke actually plays two characters which is something i never knew until like I don't know how many years later. Um, I definitely didn't recognize it as a kid. Um Yes, yeah, so he plays Mr. Dawes Senior. So he is the like director of the bank. Um, and then, so he's not the he's not the father of Colin his character because Colin First character is his
1: last name is Wilkins. But
0: anyway, okay. he he's
1: the former director who has been sunsetted and replaced. By Colin Firth.
0: Right, right, right. Okay. And so he shows up, um, and that was, like, to me, the perfect bit of fan service. It was just the right yeah. amount of Dick Van Dyke. It wasn't, you know, too much. Um, he Because
1: <laughs> you can really have too much Dick Van
0: Dyke. This is true. You can never have too much Dick yeah. Van Dyke. If you are not following him on Twitter, by the way, you should. He is delightful, and has oh. he, he clapped back at a... Who's the British guy everyone hates? Uh, Piers Morgan. Piers Morgan said made like there's so many.
1: I could I actually could not decide. I
0: was, <laughs> Piers Morgan made a I joke was like, about Theresa
1: his... May, but she's a woman. No, no. Uh, yeah. Anyway, follow okay, Dick sorry, Van. Carry on.
0: Follow Dick Van Dyke on Twitter. He's great. Um, but yeah, it was it was like the perfect amount of Dick Van Dyke just you know showing up and saying no actually you're you're not going to take his house away i think i think it's fine and so of course he does a little song and dance he's like moving like he's 70 years old instead of however however old he actually is he looked great he looks great um and it was like it was just really sweet to see him there um you know i i i can i can understand why they didn't want to have julie andrews make a cameo um but I think that this worked out. Yeah.
1: Uh, let's discuss that question.
0: Well, if she I made, I don't kid-
1: think they didn't want Julie Andrews to do a cameo. Oh
0: well, true. Maybe I'm I assuming. I think
1: they wanted the hell out of her to do a cameo. Mm. Why? Okay, so after the scene in the bank, they go to the park and they they all fly into the air in balloons, sold to them by Angela the balloon Lansbury. lady, <laughs> Angela Lansbury, in a role that's so obviously, I think was written for Julie Andrews and was meant to be the coup de grace of this whole experience that after you see Dick Van Dyke, they go to the park and, oh, my God, holy shit, it's Julie Andrews. She's right there on the screen. And then they asked her and she said no. And then they were like, fuck, uh, what do we do now? You know, you're We have this right. role <laughs> that was written for a big, that's supposed to be a big surprise and everyone's supposed to go, ooh, ah, who do we put in it? And then they had to go hat in hand to Angela Lansbury and say, Angela Lansbury, the legend we wanted to get for this role was not available. Could you please fill in for her? We're going to back a carload of British pounds up to your house and dump them all out on your front step. And you have to go to work for a day. Will you do it? And Angela Lansbury, because she is a queen, said, I will. (laughs) <laughs> that is what I think.
0: Happened you're probably you're movie. probably right. Um, although to be, yes, that's probably what happened. Uh, though Angela is a is a legend in her own right, and she yes. was in Bed Knobs and Broomsticks, which was kind of like a uh, similar to this in terms of the animation meets live action. Um, anyway, and she of course she's Mrs. Potts. Uh, but yeah,
1: she's great. I- I'm just saying. <clears throat> The role was clearly supposed to be Juliet.
0: I guess so. I, I feel like it, it, it's probably better though. I don't know. I think it would have been weird to see the actual Mary Poppins. Uh,
1: make that case. Uh, Why would it have it, been weird?
0: Well, I don't know. I, I feel like, so you know how there's the, the new West Side story that Spielberg's doing and yes. uh, Rita Moreno for a while was like, yeah, I don't want to be in this movie. Like I'm not going to make a cameo because I'm, you know, not. I don't want to distract and that, that'd be weird and I'm done with that life. Um, although now apparently she's going to play Doc, which I don't really mm. know how that works because Doc is supposed to be with the white gang members, not the, but anyway. Um, I just think it would be distracting. Like I agree with Rita Moreno's original reasoning for why she wouldn't want to be in it. And is that like, you know, make this your own thing. Whereas with Dick Van, what? with Dick Van Dyke, it's different because he's playing a character who was actually a character in the original
1: like he yeah but no one remembers that i'm just saying (sighs) it wouldn't be more distracting than dick van dyke fucking dancing (laughs) on a table
0: true fine you convinced me you're right julie andrews should have been in this um i guess
1: i i got a whole conspiracy theory going about this because the very excuse that rita moreno gave oh i don't want to be a distraction is the supposed excuse that julie andrews gave for not being in mary poppins returns the company line from both julie andrews people and disney and everyone that they've asked on this press tour about why isn't julie andrews in the movie is oh she was so nice of course we would have loved for her to be in the movie but she didn't want to be a distraction from emily blunt and the amazing work that she is doing And what a gift. It just so happens that both of these legendary actresses gave their productions to say, oh, I wouldn't want to distract from the new actresses who are playing these iconic roles. Eh, I I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I'm going to launch a 10-part investigative podcast series into the question of why Julie Andrews was not in Mary Poppins Returns. Please join me for that, listeners. (laughs) All right. I don't know where to go from there.
0: (laughs) Well... (laughs) Well, so the, let's just talk about how this last song, The Balloon Lady, played by Angel oh, yeah. Although we skipped over Triple Little Light Fantastic, which. <laughs> oh, we did.
1: Which. We did. We've we, already alluded we to a it. few
0: times, which is like the weird BMX bikes. Yes.
1: I literally have nothing to say about that song. Yeah, Do You have something to say about that song? It's
0: not step in time and that's what it's clearly it supposed to be um yeah so yeah the the balloon the balloon song is also clearly supposed to be let's go fly a kite um it also right. <clears throat> it's like the resolution where everyone in the movie they're like supposed to be young again for like these few moments and when they take the balloon they fly and they're singing even this even the dog is like flying with everyone and it's cute um and then at the end i i I think it's i can't remember who says it it might be jack or mary poppins says like they won't remember this the next morning the adults won't remember this the next morning so it's kind of playing on this theme of like a sort of Peter Pan panish theme, where it's like adults can never understand the whimsy and all this stuff in the way that children do, and then right. they get back home and everything's fine, and Jack and uh, Jane are now like hitting it off and they're together, <laughs> and that's the end, right? I think it is.
1: Yeah, that's. I mean, it's the the street is ready for. You know, fifty years later, Paddington the bear to come padding down, <laughs> it, vo- voiced <laughs> by Ben Whishaw, and, and have another adventure. That um, would make a great yeah, so crossover. This, <laughs> I would, I would absolutely watch that a Marvel universe, DC universe crossover. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there there is this this impression throughout the movie that the magic that Mary Poppins delivers can only truly be understood by children uh, and that as an adult, it fades out of your mind. Right. So there's a scene where Michael and Jane are like, wait a minute, that magic that we thought we had just invented in our minds, it was real. It was real when we were children. And then we're meant to believe that they'll forget it again, which seems to, to me like very rude, honestly. <laughs> um uh, but yes, there's this idea that only ma- only children can truly understand the magic of the world except for Jack, who, like Bert once upon a time, does understand the magic, and I guess except for the one hundred b m x biking gas lighters uh, yeah uh who uh who are all riding around in the in the big um number um triple little light fantastic but I guess I don't know that I love this message of the movie that like once you are an adult magic completely disappears from your life by necessity unless fucking Mary Poppins flies into the rescue like that seems like a real bummer but isn't that real life ugh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that Disney is not supposed to be about real life,
0: I mean Disney
1: is supposed to tell me that magic is actually inside me all along, and if I actually tap into it, I too can experience magic even as a depressed forty four year old dad
0: i mean it does it does seem a little bit more uh depressing when you consider in the original movie you're supposed to assume that Mr. Banks is like completely. Realize that he needs to be a better father and be more like just have fun <clears throat> and like there's yeah, no- he's
1: changed he's
0: changed right. by the experience right um but, uh, it's a depression though <laughs> 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 it is <laughs> it's set during the depression. That's
1: that's the message Uh, a funny note that i discovered um from uh reminding myself of the plot of mary poppins via wikipedia um is that the end of the movie is um that mr dawes jr tells them that mr dawes senior died laughing from a joke (laughs) yes
0: but he but but he died happy
1: (laughs) but that does not happen in this movie Uh, (laughs) I sort of wish it had. I sort of wish they'd been like, "Oh, we're so sorry, Colin Firth died laughing," (laughs) and so your home is saved.
0: Doesn't he get a balloon instead? And the balloon, like,
1: he does. Yeah,
0: or or does? I can't remember
1: what happens. Right, the balloon balloon should pop, and he should plummet to his death, (laughs) and then they should all like, like, but he should plummet to his death, happy that he had this moment with the balloon. That's how this movie should end. All right. So overall, you told me, or you told us early on that you felt like this was fine. It was like a, a perfectly adequate reboot slash sequel to Mary Poppins, but that you don't really know why it, it should exist in the first place. Do you hold on to that? Would you tell people who have not seen this movie? Ah, it's worth your time. I sort of wish it doesn't exist.
0: Uh, you know what? I think I would tell friends with kids, go see it. Like, I think the kids will like it. Um, And it, I, I will say the other thing that I appreciate about this movie is it's like just a good old-fashioned musical even though the music is is. not necessarily (laughs) memorable in any way like i think you know in in the way it's not trying to do you know rob marshall is the director of this and it's not trying to do this sort of chicago thing where it's like i'm gonna uh, this is a musical but we're gonna make it sexy for the for the screen like it doesn't try to do that it's just like it is a musical that's how it exists and i actually like chicago by the way but like it's it's not trying to hide behind all these bells and whistles whistles which i appreciate so yeah i mean i would say people people with kids and people who were like really big fans of murray poppins i think the fan service is enough to like warm your heart a little bit um everyone else you stay away
1: yeah uh, i will say the the thing that this does share with chicago that other rob marshall musical uh is that the big dance numbers are cut so quickly that you never (sighs) actually see anyone dancing. Yeah,
0: yeah, Uh, that's a problem.
1: Which I guess is what you have to do when your two stars are not like dancers, exactly. Uh, But Jesus, you had all those... You had to like put people on bikes and like make all the good dancers animated animals. But like there's no like actual great dance sequences in this, which I thought was kind of a bummer.
0: I feel like the takeaway from this whole entire conversation is just there are BMX bikes in 1930s London. There,
1: if there's one thing you need to know about 1930s London. It's that all of the people who lit the gas lamps rode BMX bikes. That's historically accurate. And that's what I have learned. Uh, from Mary Poppins Returns. All right. I I basically agree with you. Like I would never tell a person who is not required by law to see this movie with their children to see this movie. Like there's no reason to do so. Um, If you are a huge Emily Blunt stan um, and want to see her at her twinkliest um, go for it. If you really like wild costumes and you want to see like 1930s bathing suits uh, oh, being worn by Lin Manuel Miranda, go for it. <laughs> um, if you, but if you don't have to see the movie, don't see it. You, like it's a free country there's a lot of better movies to see um okay thank you aisha harris thank you for joining me in the spoiler special i hope that we have completely demagicified mary poppins returns for anyone who's listening uh and taken away all your joy that is the goal of this podcast of course thank you for joining me
0: thank you it was supercalifragilisticexpialidocious
1: i'm sorry i think you mean it was
0: docious al expistic fragile rupus
1: Thank you. And thank you for listening. Please (laughs) subscribe to the Slate Spoiler special podcast feed. If you like the show, please rate and review it in the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you get your podcast products. If you have suggestions for movies or TV shows we should spoil, or if you have any other feedback you'd like to share, please send us an email at spoilers at slate.com. Our producer is Danielle Hewitt. I'm Dan Kois. We'll talk to you next time.